So I'm Josh. I, um, I, I had the privilege of, of, of getting the opportunity to start this thing, um, man, four, almost four years ago as a, like an official organization, almost five years ago as a meeting in our, 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 our living room and uh, just down the road in our Moochie, Georgia. Y'all know where that is, right? Um, and, and it's been a, a really cool journey. But as I sit here and like even I'm not going to tell you the whole story because I, I want to teach God's Bible, not tell you a, 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 cute, a cute joke or a cute limerick. Um, but, but for me, it's kind of a weird thing that, I, that I'm sitting here. Um, my, my dad was a pastor. We, we did the church thing. But um, when I was 21 years old, I mean, now I look at it, and I'm like, man, I have the most incredible family. My wife is hanging out with some kids right now in, in, in the other room. Uh, Briggs is four and a half and incredibly good-looking. Uh, uh, and then we have Amelia, who is uh, a little over one and really uh, incredible. Like, and, I, and I look, I'm like, man, God, you have been so good to my family and so good to uh, us. Uh, uh, we now live in Somerville. We have a house there. And I, like, it, I couldn't imagine, like I really couldn't, like I'm not making this up. I couldn't imagine a, a better life, right? Not that I want you to be envious of, of, of my life, but I really couldn't come up with a, a better plan than where I sit right now. But it wasn't always that way. You know, um, uh, 11 years ago, I finished up college. I was working um, and I got married, not to my wife, but to someone else. I, I did. Um, and I'm not going to walk through most of that story. But um, she left me. I wasn't in love uh, on, on, on a day going to church. Just basically, we pulled up to church down the road um, in our merch at Pleasant Valley North Baptist Church where I was a youth pastor. And we pulled in. Um, and she looked at me and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm not in love with you. And it crushed me, right? And I, and I would be more than happy to share with you every bit of the story. But, it, I mean, it, there was a six-month period of time for me where I just was broken. I was thinking, you know, there's no hope. I was a Baptist pastor, and you know that, and the word divorce together is is really a messy one, right? I mean, like, and so even there is the pressure of that, okay, what does that mean for me, God? Like, does that mean I need to not be a pastor anymore? Does that mean what you call me to I can't do anymore because my wife doesn't really like me? I mean, is is that where the whole deal ran? And, um, and so there are just these moments, right, where it just was just broken. And then you look back and you're like, well, what should I have done? You know, some of you have those, right? I mean, in fact, I bring up the word divorce and some of you just cringe a little like, oh my goodness, either that's your story, that's your parent's story, that's your kid's story. I mean, we just, we just know it. We know that story so well. And I was like, ah, it's so painful and so hurtful. And that was, that was my story, right? And um, uh, luckily, uh, our church at Pleasant Valley was so gracious so supportive um, in, in those moments. A couple of years later, as I still continue to do ministry, I met my wife, Julie, who wasn't my wife when I met her, which makes sense if you all understand that. Because uh, according to the song, first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes some incredibly good-looking kids and a baby carriage. And so th- that I got right the second time. You know, we, we figured all that out. And um, so I, I, we got married, and I'm running through the whole story real fast. Um, um, I got married, I, I continued to be a student pastor, and then went and did a, kind of a stint as a, as a college pastor for a while, and I traveled and spoke some, and, um, and then God was really clear to Julie and I about two years into our marriage that he wanted us to create some kind of environment that made it simple for people to connect him, 
We knew that. We didn't know where. We prayed. And we connected with this organization called Missionary Church USA, which is actually like our, our founding organization. They helped uh, provide the funding five years ago when we launched in the, uh, back in Rome. Uh, helped provide funding when we started the church in Somerville. And a great organization, but um, you had to jump through some pretty intriguing hoops when you began like the, the, the ministry with them. Because I, was, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, was ordained in the Southern Baptist Church. All my experience in the Southern Baptist Church, uh, missionary church is like, well, we would like for you to go through our credentialing process, which is, hey, what do you think about the Bible? What do you know about certain scripture? A pretty hefty deal, a pretty long application. And then because of the D word that I had, right, the divorce, um, that was considered an extenuating circumstance. Completely understand, agree with it, very comfortable with it. And so what that meant is they put together a very important committee up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to kind of go through my life and figure out whether or not they would say I was qualified to do ministry or qualified to lead a church. I mean, I understand they gave us $35,000. I don't blame them to make sure that their money was stewarded well, right? And so there's this whole committee, and they interviewed me. They interviewed Julie separately, and um. And at the end of the last call that I had with this committee that I imagine were a bunch of grown men in suits with really nice parted hair, like I imagine they were all sitting in a room in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in a conference call. And one of them said, Josh, before we decide whether or not we can approve you as a pastor, right, um, which, I, again, I'm not making light of. I actually really do appreciate the process. Um, they said, i got one more question for you. This is the question they asked me. Well, if you had to do it differently... If you had to do it differently, would you do it the same way? And I remember in that moment thinking, you're asking me to go back in time and adjust something that I can't even adjust anyway, right? I can't even adjust it anyway. I can't, there's nothing I can do to step into that deal. So they're basically saying, well, Josh, if you got a second chance at that first round, what would you do? And I'm like, you know, we always hear about this God of second chances. We always hear those things. But I, I mean, I was just very honest with them. I'm like, I don't get that chance, right? I mean, I don't, I don't get the chance to go back in time. So why would we spend any time or any energy jumping back into our past and trying to figure out what we should have fixed? There's one of those, that's one of those words that drive me the most crazy is when after everything's done, someone comes in and says, well, you know what you should have done? I'm like, well, it's too late for should have done's, right? And so, man, today I, I, I just want to spend a, a few minutes, which means an hour and a half, um, if you've never been to this church, they're not laughing because they, they thought it was a good joke. It, there, uh, there's a lot of irony. Well, there's a lot of truth in that statement. Um, I'm sort of, just joking. Um, but I do want to spend a few minutes talking about not a God of second chances, but a God of new opportunities. And I actually believe you're in this room right this second because you've all messed up. We're all broken, we're all messy, and we're all messed up, and we're just going to talk about a guy who experienced that same mess up and didn't get a second chance but got a new opportunity. So in just a second, I'm going to pray, and we're going to be in John chapter 21. But before we do that, I want you to know that, not that this material is not over anyone's head, but we, we are very intentional here about making sure that we teach the Bible at every level in a relevant way. And so as you came in, if you checked in, kids, you noticed that there was kindergarten first and second, and then you had the preschool, then you had the toddlers, then you had the babies. And, um, and so you noticed that there wasn't anything for upper elementary. And the reason being is we want them... Want you guys uh, to participate in the in this worship experience but then we also want to make sure that we we teach the same material that i'm teaching all of your all of your children all the areas are 
coming, going through the same material in John 18 and John 21 today. But uh, we, we do want uh, the, 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 the older elementary to be able to worship with us. And then at this point, you may have already, they've been exiting because they probably, I, I did kind of forget um, that, or completely forgot. And then I saw them exiting. So if you're third through fifth grade, if you, this would be the time to exit. You don't have to. I'm not going to say anything inappropriate to parents. If you want to keep your kids near, that's not a big deal. But you can count on us teaching them out in the lobby some really great material. So this would be a good time uh, as we pray to, to make that transition. Then we're going to jump into material. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, you're kind, you're loving, you're gracious, you're all those things. And God, we're just a mess. Like, I'm just a mess. And I, God, the, the harder I try, the, the more I fail, it seems like. And I, So Jesus, as I, as I think about the words that John the Baptist said, he said, man, you must increase and we must decrease. God, it just feels like the story of my life. The more... I decreased the more you showed off. When I ran out of uh, ideas, you revealed your plans. And so, um, man, God, I just pray that you give us ears to hear this. God, you say in your word that it never returns void. That when your word is presented, it lands exactly the way you see fit. And so, God, we, we trust that and we pray these things and um, believe these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we've been we've been walking through the Bible. We started sometime uh, in the middle of last year, right after summer, and we just had to jump in the Gospel of John. And we've just kind of, yeah, I've been reading through it. Uh, we, we we got through John eighteen a couple of weeks ago, and that's kind of where we sat. And we're going to be in John eighteen, nineteen, and twenty over the next three or four weeks. We're going to cover the whole Bible, then we're going to start another, or cover the whole book of John, and then start another one. Um, not that there's not other ways to teach that aren't really great. I just want to make sure that we understand God's word. Want to make sure that we kind of rely on it and not me or not our, our, our people that, that teach in this deal. And so we've been in John 18 for a while, um, which is basically the story what, what, what Legree and Jared taught at, at each of the campuses before we came to be one church two weeks ago, was this idea that, that Pontius Pilate is standing with Jesus. Jesus is being tried and basically asked this question, well, what is truth? And we just kind of walked through that a little bit. But also in, in this, this John chapter 18 is another pretty intriguing story. It's like a, like, Caught up in this whole story is this idea of this guy named Peter who loves Jesus greatly, but he is a buffoon. Like, I mean, he just says the wrong things. He does the wrong things. Just previously, he just cut off a man's ear, which is awesome, right? You know, like, there's this moment where they come to get Jesus, and they grab him, and Peter's like, you can't take Jesus, and he grabs a sword and cuts off his ear, and then, then he gets reprimanded, and Jesus is like, no, don't cut off ears. Jesus, put the ear back. You know, that kind of deal just happens. And so they, you know, so Peter's just known for just making, like, speaking, uh, before he really thinks about it, completely understand that. If there's a, a, a single person in the Bible I identify with well, it is Peter. Like, he is just a mess. Like, he is not, like, he will take any chance there is. And so Peter has just had these moments with Jesus he's, where he just said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'm not going to, like, I will never, ever leave you. I'll never forsake you, Jesus. I'm your dog. I got your back, you know, like that kind of deal. And Jesus says, Peter, you shouldn't speak so arrogantly. You're going to, like, turn your back on me. And Peter's like, no way. No. I, I never, I, I swear on, anyway, Jesus, you know, like, like, I'm not going to do that, right? And so they're having this, 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 this exchange, and then Jesus says, look, Peter, let me just be real clear. Not only are you going to do this, you're going to do it three times before morning. He says the rooster crows, right? Three times before morning, that's going to happen. And we, if you read through John 18, which I'm just not, we're not going to read it today, uh, but if you read through John 18, Jesus, as always, is proven right and through some messy circumstances of Jesus being beaten, flogged, humiliated, tried for a crime he didn't commit, 
his best friend turns his back and on three different occasions says, I have no idea who Jesus is. When it came to the point that Peter had to choose either, <coughs> excuse me, when Peter had to choose either between, between taking care of himself and honoring his word with Jesus, he chose to take care of himself. And through these moments in this time, like Peter leaves broken, right? And that's John 18. John 18. Um, John 19, John 20, John 21. Uh, most of those we're going to cover over the next several weeks, getting ready to Easter, which will be on the 31st of this month. Um, uh, through these next couple of, 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 of chapters, Jesus is now nailed to a cross. He dies, okay? Like is killed on a cross. A horrible, horrible deal. Killed, you know, like a, a literally killed. Like his body was crushed. I mean, he dies a, a sinner's death naked in front of a, a bunch of people, right? I'm sorry, this is, this is the gore area, right? Let me get that right. Naked in front of a bunch of people, you know. Oh, come on, it's okay. He's naked around here, you know. So, so hanging there, gets crushed, and then get gets put into a, like into a tomb, right? Uh, we know the rest of the story. Jesus then comes back out of the grave, and then he starts revealing himself to a lot of people again. He starts showing up and saying, hey, look, it's still me. I'm still Jesus. I was dead. Now I'm back alive. But what we, we're going to pick up is actually in John 21. It's kind of the end of the Gospel of John. So we're going to start at the end and work our way back through the last, next couple of weeks. And where we find Peter, who has denied Jesus, is just in this broken spot. Right. In fact, what, what's ironic, and I think we all understand this, Peter is now going back to what he used to be—a fisherman. In fact, you know, whenever we have our bad days, that's typically what we do. We go back to what we used to know, right? We just go back to. I mean, in fact, isn't that kind of what addiction is? In whatever sense, man, I'm so broken, I'm so hopeless. Let me go back to whatever that is. Let me go back to that drug. Let me go back to that bottle. Let me go back to that person. Let me go back to that computer screen. And that's kind of what Peter does. Let me just go back to what's comfortable. And we find Peter, and he's sitting on this boat, fishing. My guess, I'm not, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but my guess is there's a six-pack of beer, and he's there, and he is just depressed, and he's sitting there with his pole, and he's broken. And I'm just gonna, we're just going to read it together. And this is John chapter 21, verse 1. A couple things I'll say. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It's going to be right over my head on this big screen. But if you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. We'll participate together today. But at our guest services table, when you leave, we have plenty of Bibles. So if you don't have one, please let us give you one of those today. It would be the best thing that we would, that would actually be the best thing that we could celebrate today is handing you a Bible and those things. So John chapter 21, we're going to be going through it. Here's what it says. After this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. So this is what it says. It says, afterwards, after all this, Jesus had just resurrected himself, just made himself known, done all these things. Afterwards, now Jesus is revealing himself, and he does it in this way. This is really good, right? Verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other of his disciples were together. So they're all there, right? Fishing. Simon Peter said this. I'm going fishing. Where's the beer? I added the second part. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, so fishing all night. Peter's still grumpy. They don't even catch a fish. Peter's like, great. I, you know, I gave up this to follow Jesus. Then Jesus died. I'm not really sure what's happening. My, I, I denied him. Then he died. My best friend's dead. Now I'm going back to what I used to know, and now I can't even catch a fish, right? And that's where it is. And so, uh, and then so we continue. Um, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4 said this, just as day was breaking, about the same time, you know, in terms of when a rooster would crow, Jesus stood on the shore, okay? We understand what's going on. It's Jesus. They're not sure of this yet. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, I love this. Here's what he says. Children. (laughs) 
That's exactly what I refer to most of our staff. Children, look, what do we need to do here? Children, let, let's get it together. Children, quit picking your nose, you know. Children, do you have any fish? So not only is he poking fun of them, calling them kids. He's like, hey, did you catch any fish there, fishermen? You know, and this is what they said. They answered him, no. You know, I, I did go to seminary. I did study that. That Greek word there for no actually is uh, something like that. Uh, no. And... He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So he says, hey, y'all, must, what, what's been happening is you've been working on the left side. Just work on the right side, which makes no sense in terms of fishermen talk. I've talked to a couple before. that the, the fish actually are willing to swim on both sides of the boat underneath it, right? And so they throw it on the other side of the boat, and this is what it says. So they cast it, and now they're able to haul it in. Um, the boat, wait, wait, because of the quant- they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's so funny, the guy writing this is John, and that's who he's talking about here, like, and he's writing about himself, and he's like, that disciple whom Jesus loved a whole bunch, hey, me, you know, like the author's saying that, that disciple whom Jesus loved, let me find my spot here, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea, which doesn't make any sense. Oh gosh, I don't have my shirt on. Let me put my shirt on. Then let me jump into the water. That's what I have, right? So he's there, they're fishing. He's like, oh goodness, it's Jesus. Let me cover myself. So he goes and he gets his outer garment, puts it on, ties the robe, you know, and then just jumps into the sea. Are you following this? Like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Like, smart Peter, let me cut your ear off. And I was like, it's Jesus. And they're like, hey, Peter, we can row. Too late. You know, Peter's, he's swimming. Like, he's swimming, you know, like, Jesus, I'm coming. He's dog paddling the whole deal, right? And so, uh, the other disciples, this, this makes sense, came in the boat. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. The other disciples, they just rode in and came to find Jesus. Peter, hey, we'll be over here, okay? We're going over to Jesus, you know. Other disciples came in the boat, um, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Peter is still behind, and they throw him some swimmies, is what it says uh, verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal file, fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish. 153 of them. All, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast and eat fish. <laughs> make much sense to me either, right? You want some fish for breakfast? And eat fish, right? Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed 
my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said to him, follow me. Would you understand this? There's a, there's a lot of conversations about those being different Greek words, like different agape, other kind of words. But basically, here's the scenario. Peter is in this depressed mode where he's been doing nothing for a while, thinking that his deal was over, right? Like over. He doesn't get another chance to stand before and be bold about Jesus in terms of about to be, you know, tried for, a, you know, being one of Jesus' disciples. He doesn't get that same opportunity again and he's sitting there and he's wondering wow for about three years i thought there was purpose then all of a sudden it just got all pulled away from me and now i'm not sure if anything's worthwhile let me go back to what i know and didn't even know if there's anything worthwhile and that's where some of us are wow i'm divorced i don't know if there's any hope wow i relapsed again i don't know if there's any hope wow i just lost my job for the 10th time i just failed that class again for the third i don't know what it is you know like it's just all of us is kind of walking this man i know i was built for something more than this but for some reason i can't get there like i keep trying and i have some good days but then i have some bad days and then why am i even doing this right that's peter he's like man i did this for three years i left everything like i sold everything i followed jesus and now i'm here back on a boat and i can't even catch any fish I think, man, what a perfect picture for what we feel. And if we're being honest, and I like to do that, and I think it's probably the best thing we can be as a church is honest. And most of us are pretty wore out. We're thinking, man, okay, if I make another dollar, then I'll feel better, but then that dollar's gone. And some of you are worried about how you're going to pay your mortgage, and then you're worried about how inadequate you feel. Some of you are worried about your weight. Maybe you weigh too much or too little. I don't don't know. We just all walk in these these inadequacies, right? And we're just thinking, man, there just is no hope. Man, I probably should have done that differently, but I didn't, so now what do I do? We we just think, man, God, could you let us do that over? No, we can't go back in time. So we just sit here, and we just kind of sit in this paralysis, and that's where we find Peter. And Jesus looks him straight in the face and he says, Peter, do you love me? Understand what he's asking here. He says it three times. Remind Peter of how many times he denied him. But he's asking him, look, here's the deal, Peter. You're going to be faced with a decision a hundred more times, a thousand more times in your life. Are you going to choose whether or not you're going to protect your own interests or you're going to serve me? You're going to be faced a thousand more times in your life whether or not you're just going to choose your own interests or you're going to serve Jesus. And that's what Peter says. That's what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, you guys gotta make a decision. Do you love me? And Peter's like, Yes, I love you. And then he says, If you love me, then you'll take care of my lambs. Peter says, Okay, okay. And he says again, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. And he says again, Peter, do you love me? He says, If you do, <coughs> you will take care of my sheep. In other words, if you really love me, you'll look around. And you'll see people and you'll care well for them because you know I care well for them. You'll take care of people because you know that I want to take care of them. Peter, it'll no longer be about your interest and what you get out of the, the, the contract, what you get out of the transaction. It has everything to do with you trusting me fully. He says, if you, if you love me, Peter, here's how you respond. And then he says to him, he says, you know, he says, no, here's the deal, Peter. If you want to do this, 
you need to follow me. And it, there's, it says there's there's a reference in there. It talks about how this is the, to, to a reference in the help, uh, to kind of a foreshadowing to how Peter is going to die. You see, um, if you read through history, not in the Bible, but in, in history, the works of Josephus and some others, it talks about Peter finally being crucified for believing in Jesus and taking a stand that he loved Jesus more than anything else in this world. And so they decided to kill him the same way that Jesus was killed. They put him on the cross. And Peter makes a statement, and he says, he says, look, okay, that's fine if you're going to kill me, but please don't honor me and kill me the same way you killed Jesus because I'm not worthy. At least flip me upside down. And so Peter's flipped upside down and murdered on a tree. You know, uh, we, uh, you may or may not know this. We have uh, five full-time staff guys on our, on our church. We have eight apprentices who give us 30 to 40 hours a week for free, just trying to figure out how to chase after the kingdom well. And, and one of the apprentices, Abraham, was telling me as we walked in here, I don't know if you've, you've been in this space, um, you came in today, but there's, there's some things that are pretty interesting about it because it's built to be a church, right? And one of the things they put in, into all the hallways when you walk in are a bunch of crosses, like right? they're big red crosses. You can't miss them as you walk in in any of our entrances. There's these gigantic red crosses kind of built into the tile. And Abraham was like, Josh, this is really cool. And he's like, you know, when you walk in, like the cross is upright, right? It's like, oh, we get to celebrate that Jesus is no longer on the cross. So every time you come into this place, it's like, yeah, we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate that Jesus was on the cross and then died and proved that he's God by coming back to life and paying the price that we deserve, right? I mean, that's what Jesus did. So we get to walk in and celebrate that Jesus is no longer on the cross. And he says, but here's the other thing. Every time we leave, we get to be reminded of what we're called to do. Same way Peter died on a cross upside down. We get to crucify ourselves daily as we exit this place. Say, Isn't that cool? I'm like, oh, yeah, that is. That's really extra spiritual, Abraham. And I was like, somebody give me a, a point or a cookie or whatever it is. Abraham, we're, we're doubling your salary. There it is, right? Let me make sure you understand that. We're not bad stewards of money, okay? Zero times two. Steals here. Abraham, I'll take it back. We'll quadruple your salary. <laughs> you get, are we all on the same page now? There it is. Okay. So that's what happens, you know, and he says to Peter, hey, if you love me, you'll follow me. You know, what's really cool is that these guys go to the death following Jesus because they believed in him so much and so fully. Um, but what happened for Peter and what I hope happens for you is that what they realized is they actually still had some purpose. And all of a sudden it wasn't about catching fish. It's about loving people well. It wasn't about just getting through another day or arriving safely at death. It all of a sudden meant we get to walk again with some purpose. And so for Peter, it was everything he needed. He thought he lost it all, and in a moment realized he got it all back. But the, and then some, right? And so for some of you, that's kind of the story. The story is, look, if you can do this right now, means you're still living. And if you're still living, then that means God still has an incredible plan for you. And whoever told you he didn't was a liar. Whoever looked you in the face and told you you were disqualified from serving God or that God didn't love you anymore was lying to you. If you're here in this moment, it's not because God wants to give you a second chance, it's because he wants to give you a new opportunity. I can tell you a hundred reasons why this church shouldn't be here. 98 of them have to do with me. Really. I can tell you a hundred reasons, but also I'll tell you we are here, which means there's still an opportunity that God's called us to. I can tell you a hundred reasons why we shouldn't have moved to church from Somerville and a church from Rome and brought them together. But I'll tell you, here we sit. 
So we're here. So what that means is there's an opportunity. So regardless of like your, your theology, the deal is you're still alive, which means there's still a purpose. And so the goal of today is to give you permission to chase after that purpose. And then, and then Peter continues. I love this, right? This is what he says next. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. There it is again. John gets that in there every time. Whom Jesus loved, following them. <coughs> the one who had been reclining at a table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about this man? Right? So this is what he's saying. Okay, let me explain it to you. So John's asking Jesus a question. He's reclining at the table. And then Peter kind of butts in and says, look, I understand what you told me. You said I'm going to die upside down. I want to know what happens to little boy John. You know? That's what he's saying. I need to know this. No, 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 really. This isn't, this isn't a joke, Jesus. You just told me I'm going to be crucified upside down. What happens to your sweet little favorite over here, right? What happens to him? You know, the one with the flowing locks, this guy. What happens to him, right? I love it because it's like, oh, my gosh, I so see this in our staff meetings. What about this guy? This guy was late. This guy was late right here. Are you going to do something about that? Listen, this is what Jesus says. Oh, I love it so much. Watch what Jesus says. Verse 22, Jesus said to them, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. In other words... Look, what if I decide that John gets to live forever? And, you know, like he always gets to eat like brownies made of gold, you know, whatever it is. Which would actually hurt really bad for John. If you... So what if, what if, you know, hey, Peter, what is it to you if I decide that John gets a pass on everything? John, you can be an hour and a half late every day, you know, right? I mean, like, Jesus even like kind of jumps back at him a little bit with some humor, right? This isn't because John does that. John, as we know, gets exiled to an island. He gets burned alive with hot oil. John doesn't have it easy, right? But Jesus is saying, hey, what's it to you, Peter? This isn't about John. This is about you hearing from me and doing what I say, which is follow me, right? And then he continues. So the saying spread, oh yeah, he says, if it's my will, he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me, right? And then he continues. He says, so the saying spread among other among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say this to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So in other words, John is clarifying this. Look, I wish that were the case. Unfortunately, since I'm the one experiencing this, that's not what Jesus was saying. Uh, verse 24 said, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about th- these things and who has written these things. This is John kind of declaring that he was the eyewitness in this. And we know that his testimony is true. Verse 25 is so good. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did for every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's not hyperbolic. Like, that's not extreme exaggeration. He's saying, hey, hey, this isn't like an all-inclusive, exhaustive concordance of all the cool things Jesus did. This is just enough to grab your attention because I know that you would not be able to read the books that would be filled with it. He's saying, look, 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 this isn't just about, I want you to know who Jesus was. I write these things so that you may believe, is what he says in John uh, chapter 19 or 20. He, I write these things so that you may believe in Jesus or that you will believe. But he's saying, hey, this isn't everything. Let me be clear. If I were to write about all the incredible things I did, all the people he fed, all the people he brought back to life, all the blind people he calls to see, all the lame he calls to walk, if I were to write about it, the world could not contain what would be written about him. And here's what's crazy. This is, this is what I want you to understand. 
In John chapter 14, Jesus is telling people he's going to heaven, and he says, hey, I'm going to the prayer of last you that where I am, you may be also, and continues, and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. A very, very cool statement, a very cool dialogue that most of us have, have at least heard. But then he says this, and he says, and you will do even greater things than I did. So we have in John chapter twenty or John twenty one twenty five where it says we can't even we can't even it's exhaustive the amount of good things that he did that we can't even capture. But Jesus is quoted on the record as saying, "Hey, you'll do even greater things than I." You see, the new opportunity isn't to right the wrong. The new opportunity for me wasn't that um that I was going to fix all the messy parts of my life. The new opportunity wasn't that I go get back and, and, and zap back into the, the past and not get married the first time. None of those things were the new opportunity. The new opportunity was, have you seen my family? Really, have you seen my wife? Have you ever had a conversation with her? Incredibly bright, incredibly capable. We're going to go home and have turnip soup from our garden, right? That sounds gross to you, and I would agree in terms of the sounding of it. But on the tasting of it, incredible. Really, like, like and if my kids, like Briggs is, is, is such an awesome kid, right? And Amelia, as we sat here, and, and she, uh, Brandon was playing the drums, and she was just dancing. Like, Lord, this isn't like, hey, let me make your life okay, Josh. This is, look, you don't understand. The opportunities I have for you are much better than you could ever hope or imagine. In fact, Paul referenced this in Ephesians. He says, and now to him who could do incredibly and immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine the thing is somehow we've just convinced ourselves that if we just don't die today and we eat some food and we pay our bills and everything's good. And that is just not what God has for you. So why does this matter? For those of you who love Jesus, we need to get to work feeding his sheep. The opportunity for us today is to serve the people around us. God's positioned us within uh, this place of 30 minutes of this facility, positioned us right in the middle of 250,000 people. The opportunity is to feed a sheep, to take care of his lambs, like to serve people because it's not about our interest, it's about his. For those of you who don't know Jesus, here's why it matters to you. For some reason, God has saw fit to give you an opportunity today to trust him. You see, Jesus has just said this post death and post-resurrection. So he's kind of revealed himself and said, look, look, man, there is something so much better for you. And here's what I want you to hear. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Like whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved, which means you want a new opportunity? Surrender your life to someone who can take care of it better. You want a new opportunity? Trust in the only thing, the only God, the only person that you could trust in to actually take care of those things. Like it's the, the, the idea of Lord basically means, hey, I'm no longer in charge. You are. And Jesus says, look, I just want you to trust me. So the crazy thing, and I don't know why, I have no idea why God would use this platform and this room and use me as someone who gets to communicate it. But the thing that's crazy, it has nothing to do with any of the things you've seen, videos or any of those things. The thing that's crazy is that for some reason, God decided today that he wanted to let you in on his plan. That you're welcome to chase after him and follow him. So the same request for Christians, non-Christians, it's all the same today. Love Jesus and follow him. Of Jesus. And I don't say that kind of like as this cute little phrase. We're not trying to build a fancy church. We're not trying to do any of those things. 
I say this because I have investigated every other opportunity that sounded good, and the only one I landed on that made me sense was Jesus. So that's what's offered to you today. I want you to hear. We're going to feed his sheep. We're going to care for his lambs because that's what Jesus called us to. We're going to follow him. The invitation for you today is not to believe in Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus. The invitation for you today is to follow him.